One of those things, if you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. Oh, buddy, I live on that. And, and, and so that that's one of the discipline, um, or that that's one of the things around the function that I find really interesting is just discipline around focusing on the little things. You know, how do you how do you optimize logistics? How do you optimize your buying your buying power? How do you optimize how you even receive stuff? Um, if you can optimize all those little things, the big things will take care we, of themselves. We talk about that in our office. Either, either everything matters or nothing matters. That's right. And get it right. Yep, okay. absolutely. The Highly Capable Podcast by Galtway Industries is the premier podcast for firsthand accounts of the manufacturing and supply chain spaces told by highly capable, accomplished, and proficient people. Exploring all types of personalities and industries, our goal is to highlight the people who have risen to the top of their space and try to identify what sets them apart. If you have any questions, nominations, or suggestions, please reach out to us on the Highly Capable Podcast page on LinkedIn or at podcast at galtwayindustries.com. Welcome to the Highly Capable Podcast, coming to you live from the Upright Digital Studios in Houston, Texas. I am Josh Lowry. I am a, this is a fun podcast for me to do. I am a special guest host today. I am hosting in place of Frank Cantrell with the co-host, Mr. Keith Chemetsky. Well, thanks, man. I, I love the way you set that up. It sounded fantastic. I mean... Like I, you've done this before. Well, listen, I this was actually... Uh, the Highly Capable Podcast was started really early on in, in, our, in our world of podcasting. And, you know, Frank... I love Frank Cantrell. We'll talk about... We'll brag about yeah. Frank Cantrell in a minute here. But to kind of get when I kind of started this and then left, this was one of the ones I really didn't want to leave, right? Because yeah. I, I just enjoy this. Right. And uh, and then Frank took it over, and I kept saying to Frank, hey, Frank, you need a co-host. And he's like, no, I don't. No, I don't. I don't need a co-host. And I was like, it's really hard to do these things alone, in my opinion. I can only imagine. And he's like, no, I don't. I said, Frank, as good as you are, buddy, it's just, you know, where the guest is talking, there's notes that you want to review. And... And then I kind of kept saying, you should, you should interview some people. And he's like, no. And I, and all of a sudden I said, have you, do you know Keith Chemetsky? And he's like, no. I say, you should meet Keith Chemetsky. And he met you. Right. Uh, you guys hit it off immediately. Uh, be, because everybody loves Frank. Every, isn't that the best line ever? Everybody loves Frank. <laughs> he's, I mean, what's not to like about Frank? He's, everybody loves Frank. Great personality, engaging, you know. Highly, uh, highly competent, highly capable. So yeah. No, well, I, so we'll come back to the highly capable comment here in a minute. Right. Uh, but he, he met you and he calls me. He's like, I do need a co-host. <laughs> it's Keith Jemetsky. And I say, dude, I told you. And Keith's the guy. Yep. So, and I mean, what a, what a great, uh, a great series of engagements that we've had along the way. Right. Yes. So actually, the, you know, the audience is going to be hearing this interview first. That's right. But actually, this is really done. You guys, you two have already done some interviews. A number of them. I yeah. Think. So we're, we're going to release this done. one. And then you guys have, I think, 10 kind I of believe. in the can. Yep. Um, but you never did one where you guys interviewed each other. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I mean, calendars have been difficult to get aligned. Yeah. For that's a lot the only of different reasons. negative of having right. co-hosts. Right. Busy co-hosts, I should say. It too. happens. Yeah. So um, do you do you know where the, the term highly capable came from? Have you ever heard this story? Uh, I don't know that I have. So... I've worked with Frank um, for over a decade now, really close to you know ten to twelve years, really actually longer than that. Now that I think about it, and Frank is the joke is everybody loves Frank, but Frank is a bit surly if you know Frank. Oh yeah, yes, and he's 
he's Canadian. He hates to admit this, and, <laughs> but he is. And uh, he's, I was like, you're the meanest Canadian I've ever met. And that's hard to do. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> Canadians have to work at being surly. He's surly. That's what he is. Not mean. He's just yeah. surly. To me, especially. Cantankerous? There's, and somehow it just feels like it's to me. Uh, almost certainly. Yes. <laughs> and, um, but he's really good at what he does. He's very smart. He's really good. And I'd be like, God, this guy's wearing me out. This is 10, 12 years ago. Right. And, and you guys were working together at the time. He, he was a, I was working, he worked for a company that I was kind of working with. So I was. Got it. I, I don't really know how to say it, what he was. He wasn't really my boss, but we were in that relationship to where both of us had to play nice to each other at sure. all times. And, but he was younger than I was. And so there was some, you know, that relationship kind of pulled on each other. And I went to him one time and I said, you know, Frank, I said, you're very capable. And, and that was kind of the end of that conversation. I left and Frank, he told me later, he was so mad at that conversation. And he said that he viewed that as a huge insult. Really? Yes. And he said, I, I thought that was such an insulting comment at the time. And I go, do you still view that as an insulting comment? And he said, no. <laughs> and, I, and I go, do you realize how few people are capable? Right. <laughs> That's, in today's world, oftentimes it seems that way, right? I mean, again, we're going to get into your story oh, in a yeah. second. But like, Absolutely. how many people are capable? And, they're, and then let's go one step further. How many people are highly capable? Sure. Absolutely. It's a, it's a on one hand type thing, right? right? I mean, very few people that you are encountering in your daily business life are highly capable people getting it done. So it was only fitting that Frank became the, the host of the highly capable podcast. So uh, definitely love Frank. I'm glad I'm stepping in for him. I'm definitely a better host than him, <laughs> but I do love Frank. I love, you know, for those that know Frank, he's also very uh, significant in stature. I'm sure you, you appreciate that he's not here. He's as, a big lead. He's my thing six, five. Yeah. He's not, he's not insignificant. That's for sure. I love Frank. Oh yeah. Well, enough of Frank. Whatever. Uh, I mean, we could talk about Frank for a no, long time. No, we love Frank. Everybody what, loves Frank. Everybody loves Frank. But what I love is that you and Frank are hitting it off. Yeah. And that you guys have had a good a good run so far here. Yeah. You know, it was uh, about I mean, six months ago or so when we when you introduced the two of us. And uh, you're also Canadian, right? And so there's that, that connection for sure. Um, and to your point, he does not like to admit it. Although what's interesting is, you know, as a Canadian, I didn't spend a whole lot of time there either. So maybe that's it, right? And uh, oftentimes, you know, my friends, my family, my, uh, my my coworkers might actually suggest that I can be cantankerous at times. So perhaps that's why we get along so well. Maybe uh, yin and yang, right? Well, I think, again, you're a highly capable person. Well, I, I choose to believe that. If you ask my wife, she might uh, disagree in spades, depending on the day. I've met your wife, and I've met your children, and you have very capable children. I believe you're running a capable house over there. <laughs> uh, no, to be clear, my wife is running the very high uh, Now that I believe. House. I believe yeah, that, yes. My, my, uh, my beautiful wife of 22 years actually just crossed that. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, daughter at uh, Texas Tech University Reckham. and, and yeah. uh, junior at the Woodlands. So, and, and wonderful kids, but all led by my wonderful wife, I had to be honest. At, uh, believe me, I feel like easily, I knew that already. Easily the better half. <laughs> easily. And everybody that knows her says that. Like, how did, man, did you outkick your, outkick your coverage, Kim? right? Oh, yeah. Kim, yes. Oh, yeah. Anybody who meets it. her. Man, Keith, what did you do? So let us let us kind of transition um, from, let's go, because I want to go 22 years. We jumped, we can't, we right. got to go back a ways, right? Of course. So you are Canadian, but you didn't start in Canada. Or maybe you no. did start in Canada. Uh, I mean, for weeks. But yeah, no, my my folks are um, who are also fantastic. By the way, they they're both from very very small town in Saskatchewan. They went uh, to Southeast Asia in the early seventies. Okay, 
Uh, and you know, I came along in the mid seventies and, um, you know, we moved to Singapore in 77. Were you born in Canada? Though? I was born in the big booming metropolis of, uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Saskatoon. That's a great name. Yeah, it is a great name and a really, really cool city and the only city in, uh, arguably Regina, but of real significance in terms of population size. Um, and even then the whole province is probably not a million people at this point. So very, I mean, very disparate province in terms of people. Um, population, but fantastic people. And, and, and again, so born over there or born in Saskatoon, but immediately on an airplane to Asia and landed in uh, Singapore when I was about nine months old. Wow. Okay. Yep. Early. So, I mean, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, excuse me. So I started, uh, you know, I, I went to Singapore when I was nine months old, finished high school there, went to uh, Singapore American school, go Eagles for those that are listening. And, um, you know, was, so wait, you grew, you, did your entire formative growing up years in Singapore? Every day of my life for the most part. I mean, we'd wow. go back to Canada for the summers, and that was really about it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that long oh, yeah. over there. No, and then my, my parents stayed on after that. My uh, my younger brothers actually finished there as well. Okay. And they were actually born on the island. Through high school? Oh, yeah. All the way through. I graduated graduating class of 1995. Ought to go. Nice. Yep. So, yeah. So, it was... Um, and it's I'd not never, that long ago. That's, yeah, no, we're, I know. We're very young people. I, I choose to believe that. Yes, we're very, very young. So I went to uh, thirtieth is coming up, by yeah. the way. <laughs> right? Jesus. We uh, <laughs> no kidding. Might, so we might delete that part out of this thing, but yeah. <laughs> take a step back. Be like, oh, that was a bad Good idea. God. No. So I uh, I I'd never really spent any time in the states either. Right? I mean, gr- growing up, we were Singapore all school year, Canada in the summertime. I'd never spent meaningful time in the states until I came to go to school, and it was like, where do you want to go? I had a whole bunch of friends that were going to different pockets. There was a lot of folks that went to. Uh, uh, Arizona, a lot of folks came to Texas. It, I just wanted more of an adventure, man. It was like, hey, look, let's go do this in Indiana. So that's what landed me at Purdue. It was also the best school I got into. But I mean, at the at the same time, it was just let's go somewhere where I'm going to meet. You know, it's part of the adventure. Let's go meet some new people. You know, Did you know some... people at Texas and Arizona? I mean, oh yeah, I had I had friends that were all coming. A lot of friends were coming to Texas. A lot of friends were going to Arizona. From from where though? Uh, they, they were American in Singapore. We were in high school oh, okay. together. So there were there was the expat the community. The expat community. Was, well, right. that would make sense. There's probably a bunch of Texas oil and gas guys. Exactly. Families. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And that, Houston, that was in, honestly probably Houston oil and gas families. Yeah. So a lot of them ended up at Texas A&M in Texas. Ah. A handful of tech. And then Do you Arizona. still know any of those guys today? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Keep in touch pretty well. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's really Did cool. Did any of those guys make it, guys and girls make it into the oil business later on in yeah, life? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's folks that I know that, I mean, we grew up together over there, and, and their parents have since retired, as is my father. And um, so now, we're, now they're with oil service companies, too, oil companies, too. So it's it's kind of an what interesting deal. Uh, How cool is that to go all around the world like that? And come full circle. Yes. Right? But it's, it, it is. It's The industry is one that I really am passionate about. And it's one that you get to see a lot of the world. And so if that's in your blood, which is get out, go see more, oil and gas is great for you. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's hard to find another industry where you get to go see the world and, and off the beaten path type places, right? Whether it's Middle East, Southeast Asia, you know, India, Latin America, crazy places, fun places. No, I, I agree. I mean, if you want to see the world in oil and gas, so I, 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 I hope that the world of oil and gas, like I go back to like 2000, call it seven through 12. Right. And what a run, huh? The I mean, maybe the best ever, right? I don't know. You got to go through fourteen though, too. Fourteen was fantastic. Okay, I, you're correct yep. in that because it did. You're right, and you're thinking when you think say that you're actually thinking offshore was just booming through uh, it, fourteen. Everything North everything American, North American, the uh, shale was had already been on explosion. You know, 
rocket path. Like you said, offshore was rocking and rolling. I mean, it was, I, peop, you look at some of the challenges that we've had to go through over the last five years. A lot of it was driven by the the excess, right? I mean, the number of the number of drill ships, right, oh. that were that were in shipyards that just got stopped. But especially like where Ooh. you where you, that area, oh, that oh Singapore was yeah. unbelievably busy back in the day. It was crazy. Korea, yep. Yeah, yeah. So, in I mean, a lot of shipyard activity because a lot of new construction, and and you know, I, I give you the backstory on my folks and, yeah. and the backstory on me mostly to say, I see the world and kind of life as an adventure, right? I mean, it's like you can do the right. same thing day in and day out, and and for some people that's fantastic. That's what they need. They crave that consistency. I'm not a very good linear thinker. When I say that, I like to take the long way and sometimes the hard way, quite frankly. Um, but I like to take the long way sometimes. And you know, when you, when you, when we were sitting on the golf course, you say, Hey man, you ought to think about doing this. I remember thinking, I know nothing about podcasts. I know nothing about this, this thing, but I do know a little bit about supply chain. I've been doing it for 20 years. I do know a little bit about, you know, how to engage people. And so from that perspective, it was like, why not? It's a hell of an adventure. Let's right. do it. Well, I've played with you, and I can assure you that we weren't sitting anywhere. We were probably walking somewhere looking for our balls. <laughs> Look, looking for our balls, you know, discussing how we were going to be so much better on the next shot. Hunting the, the cart at some level, but we certainly weren't sitting. That, no. That's for golfers that are good. They can yeah. hit a ball, sit, yep. and drive to the next. Wait, that doesn't work for us. No, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've watched me play. You know how this goes. Oh, golf. We'll it was painful. We'll, this is not the yeah. highly capable golf <laughs> no. podcast. I'll leave that one to the professionals, <laughs> right? right. Uh, yeah, so no, it was a. So uh, what was your, what was your dad doing over there? He was an oil and gas guy. Yeah, I mean, like obviously oh, equipment. Yeah, yeah, no, mean, no, no. So he worked for uh, he worked for Tubiscope at the time. Okay, and it, and it changed hands a number of times, um, and ultimately is now owned by Nov, right? Yeah. And he spent uh, oh, man, it's got to be every bit of 25, 30 years with them, and then went back in the early two thousands, uh, and actually he and a couple of friends built a built a nice little business over there, and ultimately uh, exited it in 2017. So they spent almost 40 years on the rock. Unbelievable. Four zero, yeah. I mean, there were very few people, expats, that I'm sure spent anywhere near that amount of time. And uh, to say that my mother was done with it would be an understatement. Yeah. I, they, they did a lot of rotation, especially once there were no kids over there. But yes, it was. Um, it was a long, we had a long run. I saw a lot of changes on the island. I would imagine you did, because isn't that, and again, we, can, we don't spend too much time on it, but I went over there and it was, I can see where, unless you commit fully, it can get old real quick. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it, it's not a huge island, right? Not not a huge island. And, and you, it's a place where there's so much to do on the island to stay entertained. But at the same time, it's a lot of the same over and over Correct. again, especially now. Uh, they've done such a great jo- job modernizing the island. Uh, as of now, it's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's a lot like going to Vegas or going to. That's right. It's to, what if, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a city built around money. Yeah. Right? In lots of it, right? Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. It's a place to put money in, in the yeah. East. So what's really interesting, though, is when I was growing up and now I'm dating myself, so we can talk about how, how old we are again. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, riding my bike when I was probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old. And there was um, there were still kampongs. I mean, sheet metal sheet metal roofs and places that didn't have mm-hmm. uh, power, and that was not too far from my house. And um, never felt unsafe. But I mean, that's how far they've gone. I mean, so the that was idea the eighteen fifties, I yeah, assume, right? Yeah, could have been. It was still a fishing village. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's the the island was amazing. The experience was incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, just got to travel and, and see all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, over a beer, I'll tell you some silly stories, but. Yeah, the, uh, the growing up on the island was amazing, but I knew that, and even for me, I, it was 18 years of the same 
experience. It was time to do something new, and that's what brought me to the states. Yeah, but real quick, and, I, and we'll go right after yeah, this. But no you were you were even at a ki- when a kid, yep. as a kid, I should say, your dad was. I mean, this is also seventies and eighties. I mean, yep. the, the laws have changed, and the you know, like like I remember yep. riding the back of beds of trucks, right? Of course. So your dad was like, "Hey, get out of here." Come help me do this. You were in a yard early on. Oh yeah, seeing seeing this world. Absolutely. No, when uh, yeah. So so again, my my uh, family's very blue collar. Uh, you know, historically, and, and my my old man was never going to give me anything, right? Uh, unless I got out there and worked for it. And so yeah, I spent a lot of time working uh, in pipe yards and yeah. and you know working with coveralls on next to guys from Bangladesh and India and you know it was in Malaysia. It was a great experience. You get to know a lot about working with people when they don't speak English and how do you motivate them? How do you engage them? Um, again, I won't, I won't go into the long story, but there was once where, um, you know, and at this point I'm now like a junior or senior in high school. And so I had a little, little crew with me. There's four or five of us. We had a project to do and, um, I, I needed to go get some more material. So I asked these guys to start cleaning up the area so we could get ready. We're, I think we're painting something. And, uh, as I'm getting ready to jump in the forklift, these guys are, I said, do you guys understand what I'm saying? And the people on the radio, so this is not great, or on the podcast can't see it, but they're all nodding their heads. Yes. They're all nodding their heads in agreement, at least I thought. And I came back and nothing had started. Yeah. And that's when I realized when people don't understand what you're saying and they're going to start nodding their head, that's a universal, universal sign for I have no idea what you just asked Isn't me. that an Indian? That, no, that, no, that was everybody. Okay. I mean, and it wasn't their fault. It was actually my fault, right? For not it's my fault. It's my fault for not actually taking the time to, to learn actually, that cultural to be aware of the fact that the, these guys don't understand what I'm asking them. To so do. I, I know what you're talking. I think many. I think this audience will understand. Right. That. I've, they, you know, I've seen that, yep. and, and I think Americans right. fall into that. Okay, great. That this is understood, and actually, that's kind of the sign of. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. And, and so I would agree with you. And, and I carry that forward now, right? It's like, how do you get people to repeat what you just asked them to do back to you so you can actually check for comprehension? What a great lesson at, at a 18 years old yeah. that like, look, oh, I yeah. need I need to be understood. I need to help yeah. understand, help people understand. Oh, and make no mistake. This was already working five, six years out in the out in the yard. So, I mean, I started with you know, with a broom in my hand, stole me a running machinery. I mean, there was there was things that, um, you know, looking back, it's like those were some of the best experiences to prep me for what it looks like today. So how do you go from there to Purdue, go to college, and, like, you, you know, Purdue's you're, – you're probably there during the Drew Brees years, I would think, right? Yeah, so Drew showed up uh, when I was a sophomore. Okay. So, yeah, it was Mike Allstott early. You want to start that over? No. Okay. So, it was Mike, Mike Allstott. Mike Allstott. I just Remember saw that. That? Yeah, that was the running back. Dude, Stud. Was, he was a house. So, yeah, so Allstott was there. Allstott leaves. Drew Brees shows up. It, yeah, it was, a, uh, it was a fun football time, man. That so, was actually, that was War of the Glory days. Everybody will say, oh, <laughs> you know, go back to the 70s. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't even count. Well, wait a minute. So, okay, so, like, like typical college experience. You go in, you got a bunch of 18-year-old guys from wherever. Oh, yeah. And you get on, they're on a, you know, you work on whatever hey, we're at this project, we're on a team together. How do how does that person from, you know, nowhere Oklahoma into Purdue, right? Yep. Versus you coming out of Singapore, now you're on a team with these people and you've you've just understood these life lessons that are far more complicated than whatever they've been involved in, I would right. imagine, for I, the I, most part. Almost certainly. So how does that translate to your college experience? Right. For for you. So yes. Yeah, so what I would suggest is Getting going back to the adventure, just kind of the thirst for adventure. When I got there, everything I owned was in a duffel bag. I didn't know anybody on That's campus. Right, no one's in America I, for you. No, I, 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 when I showed up to go to school at Purdue, 
I get off an airplane and in 48 hours, I'm going to my dorm and, um, yeah, Alone. I, uh, yeah. I mean, and it's very quickly, how do you meet people? How do you engage in class? How do you, you know, what does that look like? And I'm actually the first person in my entire <clears throat> broader family to go to university. So I get there and to say that I was not a great student university, you are Canadian. <clears throat> Keep going. Right. Well, it's, well, it is Purdue university. Uni. I'm going to uni. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to suggest that I wasn't a great student in high school would be an understatement. Actually, true story is my dad, this this literally just happened. My dad just sent me a copy of my transcripts from SAS. Yeah. I can't share them with my son. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm riding him hard about his grades. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I was way worse. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's actually laughable. But I got to school, and I thought, holy crap, if I fail out, one, my dad is going to be the end of me. Right. right. I mean, he's going to beat me senseless. Um, which that's clearly meant, uh, hyperbole, uh, but he absolutely the 80s. Yeah, good time. Exactly. Right. They were a good time. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, one, my dad's gonna be furious. And then two, it's just the, the broader shame and embarrassment. Yeah. So, um, also the eighties. Yeah. Were right. A good time. Yeah. So I actually, my first, my first two semesters for a student Dean's list, I didn't do anything. I was so concerned about failing out. I'm like, I'm not doing any of this. And I meet some folks and, and, you know, the Greek life is huge at Purdue. They're like, you need to come rush this fraternity, that fraternity. I'm like, I am not doing any of it. Um, and then that quickly fell apart in my second semester of my freshman year when I joined a fraternity. And then it was just crash and burn. Yeah. Uh, You're like, I got this. Yeah. No, no, no. Do this with my eyes closed. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, uh, it, it, it then quickly turned to, I need to find that happy medium. And yeah. so, so how do you strike that balance? But that being said, you know, I think growing up in a very ambiguous culture like Asia, especially back then, really prepped me for university, going to school, being alone, you know, being able to just figure things out. But yep. at the same time, you know, it uh, it caused some challenges, right? Because I get here, I have no reference to pop culture. I have no reference to people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to watch Saved by the Bell. I'm like, Saved by the what? I don't really oh, I'd never seen it. When I was growing up, true story, I had one hour of English TV a day. When I was when I was super young, we got cable later. I was absolutely in love with Kelly Kapowski. <laughs> That's a shocking I, thing for you not to know who Kelly I, Kapowski I, is. I knew none of it, and again, I never came to the states during the summer, so again, no no reference whatsoever. I got I got a half hour of English news and Happy Days, and that was my reference for America in the eighties. Like everything is like that. That's actually a little bit weird. <laughs> But no, it was um, so there was a lot of culture shock. Um, come to find out, the U.S. culture is fantastic, though, so it didn't take me long to embrace right. it. So yeah, so you look very American. It, it cracks me up that that is. I mean, obviously you've adjusted yep. very well, but it is interesting to think that that there's that there's just there was that gap of eighteen twenty years where you're like, well, yeah, what I, is this? And, and it would have been different. I'm I'm sure it is different today, right? You know, given the internet, sure. given you know, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah, but all is that even better? Yeah, it's almost nicer that there was tin roofs and oh. you know mm. that whole separation. I, I love that I was able to yes. witness and enjoy that while I was growing up. It's one of the last year that the world's ever going to see. Really, I mean, oh, yeah. you've got to go out of your way now to find correct. You know that that experience. Um, and, and especially in Asia. And then again, it was a jumping off point. I mean, we got to do, got to go to a lot of cool places, do a lot of fun things, whether it was in Thailand, Indonesia. All right. So you graduate Purdue. And what do you do? Uh, so first I meet uh, my girlfriend, now wife okay. there. At and, Purdue. At Purdue. Okay. And again, going back to the adventure, as well as growing up on an island, I joked that I never owned closed-toed shoes for a long time. Now I'm in Indiana and it's freezing cold. I'm like, I am not built for this. 
um, looking at me, you'd say, well, you got a lot of insulation. And I would this say, is, I still just don't like it. It's Tex-Mex. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. queso. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so effectively pack everything we, uh, I own into a, uh, into my, my car, uh, including I had a pet lizard named uh, Louis from Louis and Frank, the Budweiser lizards. Okay. So Louis and I get in the car and we drive south basically until the weather got warm enough, showed up in Houston, Texas, and we've been here for a long time. You had a job that lined up. I did. Uh, I did a couple of years where I, I actually very purposefully didn't want to work in the oil field. Mm-hmm. I did a couple of internships uh, with, with um, companies that are now owned by National Oil Well. Um, but I was looking to try to do something different. It was the ups and downs, the oil field, the oil field in the, in the mid to late nineties wasn't fantastic. Sure, no, wasn't. I mean, eight, $9 a barrel oil. I interned, uh, 98, right. I believe. And I think oil was $11 a barrel. Yep. If I'm not mistaken. That sounds about right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'll never was, forget the guy telling me if oil could just get to $30 a barrel, we'd be rich. <laughs> now, if it goes to $30 a We're barrel, in trouble. We, the entire world We're stops. In trouble. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I came down here. I did a couple of things, uh, unrelated to oil and gas. Um, ultimately ended up back at uh, National Oil at the time before the merger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really where I got one into supply chain, going back to the mm-hmm. kind of the theme of the of the podcast. And then two, um, back into oil and gas. And it's been a fun ride ever since. One of the things that I've been incredibly blessed with is meeting a lot of really interesting, highly capable individuals um, who have been willing to share their wisdom and knowledge with me. And then getting some great experiences along the way, just in terms of work experiences. Getting, so, getting uh, being able to do things that others. What wouldn't. time frame are you talking about there with that whole run you're describing? So, uh, I joined National. Well, don't again, don't date me. Right, I think it was 2002 when I went back to okay. back to work for them. Um, and I worked for National Oil for a number of years. Got my MBA. Uh, finished my I get did that local at the University of Houston at the executive program. Great program. Yeah, it was a great program. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed it. Um, when I finished there, I was working for Workman, actually, Robert Workman. Robert Workman. Yep. And, and great I, stories about I, him. I had a great, I had a, in, in Santos. Very smart guy. That was where I, that was where I ran into Santos. You met him in the grad school program. No, actually Robert and Santos went to school together. Okay. Robert ended up hiring Santos. I love Santos. Everybody loves Santos. I love Santos. Just like Frank. Yep. Um, and then ultimately, um, Robert hired Santos into, uh, NOV distribution and became my boss. So I was running a uh, an integrated supply chain. For See, Noble like you drilling. just described. That, I mean, keep going. I want to hear, but yeah. I'm going to come back to that point in a second. But keep sure. Going. Well, and that point is actually very poignant, right? So I was running a uh, integrated supply chain for them. National Oil well did mm-hmm. for eighty million dollars annual spend across five different con- or five different uh, countries, and we were selling you know the the better part of fifty to sixty million dollars of capital equipment per year. Where what location there. were you out of at that time? Uh, I was based here in Houston. Which one? Did just all of them, or were you? So I had a, I had an office down at West Chase, where okay. they still were where they were, and then five twenty nine uh, area five twenty nine yeah five twenty nine West New York. Yeah, um, you know, you just listed Santosh Robert yep. yourself, yep. but you could keep going there. And, oh yeah, and list you know the Jeremys of the world. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think the Brady Brian. Yep. Uh, what was yep. Brady's brother's name? Uh, Bobby. Bobby Brian. Yep. And, and, a, and Brady was like in supply chain. Yeah, uh, he was. He was actually he was a an auditor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was an auditor. Yeah, that, yeah. And, and then he's kind of worked his way. He, I mean, and then who's done a great job and, and phenomenal people. That's why I say there. The, there was this list of people at that yep. company at that time that were just destined to, to become, do well. Yeah, exactly. Yep. To that, do have, well. that have done kind phenomenal. Of, yeah, absolutely. Kind of whatever well looked like, right? I mean, again, highly capable, highly intelligent, highly engaged. And and that's why I say my experience, I've been very blessed with that. Get to know a lot of really, really mm-hmm. good people. 
but then it was experience, right? I mean, I was 26, 25, 26, 27 years old, you know, running this major book of business. And in fairness, right? I mean, I had a great team working with me, uh, but did I really deserve that job at the time? I was clearly over my skis, but I, it was a great opportunity and, and uh, it just played out extremely well. Well, I mean, look, you were a part of a, you were part of a team that was growing. Growing. At a and, rapid pace. And they were growing. They were buying everybody at that time. Absolutely. They were consuming yeah. everybody. And that was, you know, along those lines, that was when I left. The, I think the uh, the merger happened in 2004 I mean, Which merger? By the uh, way. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Varco National, one, the big National one. Oil Well, yeah. and then National the Varco. One. Yeah, Varco. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one that, uh, or that was when I departed. Yeah, and like you said, they were just gobbling mm -hmm. up everybody. And, and that was PTMO, and he, and he did a fantastic job of it. Well, I mean, truly, we don't have to spend too much time on that whole thing, but there was just a group of you guys that was just studs and are still studs yep. to this yep. day. Well, in fun people to, uh, to spend time with even today and reminisce about how much fun we had, yeah. how much, you know, candidly, how much value we added to, you know, the stockholders and for the broader organization. And then to see where everybody's gone, right? Because a lot of people have splintered off and headed in different directions. But they've all done something pretty significant. Absolutely. And so I was, just real quick, you know, I was a supply, I was a supplier to you guys at this time. Okay. I was a forging guy. Yep. I was selling uh, forgings. For, like for uh, fluid ends for no, uh, no, no, mud no. pumps? No, no, no. We were selling, this time, a lot of the yep. smaller mud pumps we okay. were doing, I mean, truly anything uh, on the 529 facility, yep. your Irvington, California right. facility which actually was in uh, yeah, 5.29 at one point at yep. all, um, your top drives. Yep, top drives. Um, everything, just anything in that world. And I was meeting all of these guys and right. girls in that whole thing. And, I, and I'm basically the same age as everybody. Robert's about 10 years older than I am. And I thought to myself, like, I am so far behind. But what was great is everybody's willing to engage and help each other out to learn, to grow. And I mean, look how fast you've caught up. Well, yes, but what I didn't realize was that the guys and girls I was dealing with were that 1% at the oh, time. Yeah. I was unaware that there was this super group of people that had kind of been handpicked. Yes. And they were saying, look, you're going to be the next group of leaders that we put throughout this entire company. Right. And how many presidents or CEOs have come out of that group? I, I mean, honestly, it's, it's hard to even count. Well, I think somebody did it one time. There is this tree. No, <laughs> I, I, I think Santosh told yeah. me one time, there is this tree that's come out of it. And it's, it's pretty, it's in the twenties of I'm like sure. significant, publicly or public or private CEOs and presidents that have come out of that one group. And it's so significant of people that, and you know, the audience, if you're listening, you could probably do a little research and Santosh yep. uh, knows this by the right. way. It, it wasn't that I was behind. It's that everybody was so great. <laughs> right. But you don't know that when you're 26 and 27 years old, you just think, Oh my God, I am. Yep. What am I, what am I doing? Here? I'm failing. Right. Like, yeah. What, what am I doing? Yes. How, do, how do I, how do I figure this out in a hurry? And, and then if you want to make it, you have to tr run really fast. And yep. then if you can, and if you can and do, yep. um, then hopefully you kind of catch up. And what you realize is you're just hopefully getting up to speed with the 1% well, people and, out there. And, and to that, to that point, right? I mean, if, if you just look at yourself, it's the amount of hustle, the amount of energy, the amount of I mean, intellectual horse, uh, horsepower is clearly part of it. And you've got that in spades, but it, if you're not committed to hustling, working hard, you know, engaging others, growing your network, helping other people, mm -hmm. growing them. That's, you know, that's really what I found over time to be the most impactful for me is helping others be successful. If I help other people be successful on a long enough timeline, it'll come back to me. And from that perspective, and I genuinely mean that, and from that perspective, I think National Oil at the time was doing that in spades um, and incredibly intentional about it. All right, so you leave, yep. you move on. Where do you go from there? Yeah, so I finished my MBA. Um, 
I, I knew that I wanted to uh, get, position myself to potentially go overseas. Again, my wife is actually, uh, she's an expat kid as well. Okay. We, we actually met in Singapore <clears throat> back in the, uh, in the late 90s, but we really didn't know each other. Um, but we ne she never went to high school there. We never spent time together there. We just met. Okay. Um, but her, she was an expat kid as well. And so we thought, you know what, that'd be a great opportunity. So that was what took us to Chevron, uh, as well as I wanted to see the other part of the business, mm -hmm. you know, the, the operator side of the business. Um, I, I'd spent plenty of time on service, plenty of time in equipment. Let's go see what operators are like. So I did uh, seven years at Chevron, all in supply chain. Uh, at the time, Chevron, the Chevron-Texaco merger was in full swing. A big part of how you pay for that is mm -hmm. how? It's through uh, merger synergies of driving down costs. Correct. And so it was a ton of negotiating big deals, whether it was for you know, um, CNAP, which is the North American EMP, Gulf of Mexico group, uh, did a lot of work with uh, Chevron Pipeline, quite a bit of work in uh, the technology company, and all in some different supply chain roles. You know, we're, I want to talk about the technology because that's actually the first, when you and I first met, I actually got introduced you to a friend of mine named Jeff, one of our friends named Jeff. And so I was trying to actually figure out who? Jeff. Jeff's the one who introduced us. Really? I, it's, I can't believe I'm giving him credit for this. <laughs> he, but he did, <clears throat> and he brought you in, and uh, I thought we were going to blow your mind with this technology. And you came in and you were like, well, actually, guys, let me explain your technology to you. And I'm like, who is this guy? And you sat down and gave us a map. And we were with Tim. Yep. And, yeah, yeah. And at the end of this meeting, you left and Tim and I looked at Jeff and we we're like, this guy knows more about your product than you do. <laughs> and I, I, yep. Do you remember that? Yeah. I was like, yeah. what the hell just happened here? That was how I first met you. Well, and would you explain our product better to us than well, in, than what we in, knew. In, you know, it's funny. It's, it's clearly I didn't. Uh, hopefully, I didn't come off like a complete ass. No, I mean we're still here. I guess we're here, so yeah. it wasn't terrible. That's one of the things about <clears throat> supply chain that I actually really enjoy. Is yeah, we have to buy stuff, right? I mean, everybody has to buy stuff, but actually learning what your suppliers do, what how they add value to you, how you can extract more value from them, and working by working with them, to me, that's the. That is probably one of the most fun parts about supply chain. There's all kinds of, you know, if you talk to a true supply chain professional, which by the way, I didn't, I don't have a formal degree in it. I just learned it along the way. Chevron was a breeding ground for people coming out of supply chain. They did, they had a fantastic training program, all the rest of it. But you look at everything from, you know, contracts, you know, negotiating legal terms and conditions, negotiating deals, supplier management, the whole, the whole gamut. I really enjoy working with suppliers and doing deals. There's other parts of it I'm, I'm not good at, candidly, and, and I'll ask for a lot of help. And let's get real professionals to close that gap. But there's just so much fun stuff that you can do within the supply chain space. And, and everybody's talking about it now. That helps. Well, you know, that's where you make your money. Yeah. That's where you actually make your money. It's like if you buy a house, you, you make your money on a house in two ways. You either remodel it. Right. And, you know, you, you build some equity into it or you wait 30 years, or yep. I say two weeks, or you buy your equity That's at right. the beginning. In in supply chain or in business, at least in manufacturing, sure. right, you have to have a fantastic supply chain yeah. to not lose money on your manufacturing. If you're buying high-priced raw material, if you're, if you're losing money in your machining or transportation right. or scrap or whatever it is all of it. you're done yeah you're dead meat <clears throat> well and, and a lot of it is optimization right Optim you know, how do you optimize each one of those little areas each one of those distinct dis distinct areas even if it's just a little bit if you can take two percent there one percent there five percent there 
all of a sudden it turns into material money. Real money. Very much so, right? I mean, especially in today's world, right? And, you know, in 2023, when things are pretty tight, um, pricing power is a little bit better. But what about two years ago? I mean, trying to sell, it was like, how do you, well, if you can get just a couple of margin points, you're thrilled. But in today's world, it's- it, By the uh, way, it's going back to that. We all know it. Oh, I right agree. now, we're riding on a high, yep. and there's some, you know, whatever's keeping us up. There's yep. a hundred, you know, factors, but it'll come back down. Yeah, and it will. And, and so it's one of those things, if you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. Oh, buddy, I live on that. And, and, and so that that's one of the discipline, um, or that that's one of the things around the function that I find really interesting is just discipline around focusing on the little things. You know, how do you... How do you optimize logistics? How do you optimize your buying your buying power? How do you optimize how you even receive stuff? Um, if you can optimize all those little things, the big things will take care we, of themselves. We talk about that in our office. Either either everything matters or nothing matters. That's right. And get it right. Yep, okay. absolutely. All right, so Chevron, boom, yep. then where? Chevron was a great run. Really enjoyed my time at Chevron. Um, that was kind of right. So I, was, I left in 2010. It was right as North American shale was really blowing up. And a... Uh, a, a colleague of mine had left to join Talisman Energy. Mike Frazier. Do you know Mike? No. You should. We'll definitely make that clo uh, close. Mike, that call Keith. Yep. Yeah. So Mike is. Um, Mike and I were uh, were, were peers at uh, at Chevron. Mike is highly capable, highly intelligent, highly charismatic. Um, he gets pulled into Talisman, working for another guy from Chevron that I didn't know. I'd heard his name, but I didn't know the guy. Um, and they were struggling to find somebody in Calgary to help lead North, their North American supply chain group. Um, so Brian Smith, uh, who was the VP of supply chain for North America, called me one day and he said, hey, I understand, you know, wanted to get to know you, so we chat for a little bit. He goes, what's your interest in moving to Canada? I said, well, I'm Canadian. Yeah, I'm Canadian. And I was like, it turns out. I've never good. been there. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea how to talk like them. <laughs> I can kind of look like That's them. That's right. Yeah, but it's like, it's like yeah, again, here, come, here comes the next, uh, yeah. the, ne the next, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Culture shock. So uh, so I talked to my, my wife, and she's highly understanding. And she's like, look, if you think this is a good idea, I'm ready. She's a great ride or die. She's like, I'm, I'm in. Dude, we love us some Kim, don't if we? If you want to be. She puts up with a lot. You know, yeah. man. She puts up with a lot. No, it's I don't have easy. any idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm so mature. I yeah. This doesn't sound anything like anything I'm familiar with. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, so she's like, look, if you want to do it. So within probably six weeks, decided interview to, all right, packing our stuff up. And uh, two yeah. kids at this time. Well, yeah, two kids in, in, in both at they're both relatively young. But uh, my daughter was quite impressionable at the time. She's probably I don't remember. Uh, I should be able to do math on that though, right? Eight. Yeah. So, you know, the idea of the idea of pulling her out of school was kind of a big deal. Uh, but look, we're going to do this thing. And, and it was great, right? I mean, where'd my, you move to? So we went to Calgary. Ah, the best. Yeah. Oh, Love exactly. Calgary. Calgary's fantastic. Love Calgary. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's one of the best cities on the planet. It is exactly. Yeah. It's one of the best. Yep. So Love we, uh, so we moved up there. We're up there for about two years and then Talisman said, Hey, we're actually going to move uh, a lot of our functional headquarters to, uh, to the Houston area go ahead and start packing up again i mean i barely gotten my boxes yeah. unpacked and it's time to go uh now full disclosure is i mean i'm coming back to a place i already know and like so yeah. it wasn't really so hard. you were houston calgary back to Houston. <clears throat> that's correct sounds very much oil filled yeah exactly yeah. i mean and again just barely get things correct. unpacked and it's time to pack yeah. them back up so i was there for uh about four and a half years almost five years and uh Towson was going through a lot of changes uh, there was a lot of uh, question about what the long-term viability looked mm -hmm. like. And at, at that time, I was actually in Aberdeen, speaking of, again, just getting out and adventuring, right? 
I'm in Aberdeen and I get a phone call from a, from a search firm says, Hey, are you, uh, are you interested and willing to look at a service company? I was like, absolutely. I love service companies. That's, that's where I was born and, yeah. and raised. And, uh, yeah, I've been in operators for now at this point, let's call it 12 years ish. I said, yeah, obviously conversation. So, uh, series of conversations after that. And I joined Patterson UTI as their uh, head of supply chain. They never had a head of supply chain. They really didn't. They, they, they took a much more purchasing type view. Like we're just cutting POs and, mm -hmm. and negotiating deals as we can. What year was this? Uh, this would have been 2014. So I joined, I joined them right at the peak. That also sounds very much like what an oil field service company was doing back in 2014. That's right. They just, they were getting, they were, everyone was doing that. Just placing purchase. There was so much money. Oh yeah. Everybody's placing orders. And, and, and oh, I mean, just kind of, how do you keep up with it? Right? Well, and they'd also all been by the way, hammered by supply chain professionals for the last 10 years because that's what operators were doing. Correct. So now they're t looking at it saying, hold on, maybe we need to turn around and layer some of that in for ourselves. Right. And so that's what happened. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so I joined Patterson at the time. Patterson was just a, and I say just a, a highly successful uh, drilling business. Correct. And frack business. We had we had two small frack com smaller frack companies where they op operated completely independent. Um, they were the second largest drilling contractor at the time, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Still are. Okay. Still are. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, HMP one uh, major. Yeah. Major drilling contractor. Yeah, major sure. drilling contractor in lower 48 currently running 130 ish rigs and, mm -hmm. and 12 frack spreads now. But um, yeah, a, a fantastic leadership team. Again, I go back to just been very fortunate to work with great people, truly great people um, that are willing to give you the opportunity to do things that are uh, yeah, outside of your comfort zone, learn, figure it out. Um, and or don't for a little bit and you know, educate yourself through others. And yeah, so I, I was with them for, I worked for them for in the supply chain capacity for about eight years, seven and a half, eight years, and then was offered the opportunity to go uh, lead the directional drilling business about a year and a half ago. That they also own. Yep. The, uh, yes. So in the, yeah, that's right. So since 20, since 2014, we've since bolted on a, um, another drilling contractor, Nomac. Okay. Uh, another major frack company, Performance Technologies, okay. uh, MS Directional, okay. Warrior uh, Technologies, which is a drilling equipment um, and component manufacturer, uh, Superior QC, which helps us land wells, Great Plains Oil Field, which is a rentals company. So it's a much more diverse organization today than it was back then. Okay. <clears throat> and so, yeah, so we bought uh, MS Directional in 2017, uh, had a number of uh, different leadership teams about uh, two years ago. There was a conversation about making some changes and I landed up there then. So I feel like the oil field service world is your fit. Does it feel the most natural to you or? Because you know, you've, you've had a touch, yeah. you've touched a lot. Yeah. It, but I feel to it, me, yeah. knowing you, it just feels like that's the most natural fit for you. It, you know, and, and I think part of it is I'm, I'm a relatively simple person, right? I mean, and, and when I say that. But not really. No, not, it's not bad. I just find that oilfield services get it done, people. Right? It's it's we're the okay. ones that are executing. Now that I can see what you mean by yeah. that. Yeah. And when and when I use the word simple, it's not like we're simpletons. Yeah. It's that we're focused on doing the job, doing it well, doing it safely, and going home. Right. And and you know most operators. So for example, and this is not a shot at operators, but most operators are in the middle of big cities. Um, you know that you know, they don't spend they don't have the opportunity to spend enough time in the field, and that's where I like to be. Um, I'm I'm a relatively simple person. I would like to wear blue jeans a lot. And you know, I like to put my steel toe boots on and get my uh, FRC and go to the rigs. And I just think that that's so to your point, that works for me in my style. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's just 
you know, kind of what makes me feel good. I love to see shit get done. And, and, and get a lot of stuff done in oilfield services. In oilfield services, yeah. I mean, it's just how do you break it down, execute, execute safely, and go home. Well, I mean, you've had a run here. It's you know, it feels like the last couple of years have been really fun, man. But it hasn't <laughs> been fun the last ten years. I mean, it's kind of been an up and down, right? Yeah. So that's a great point. What what I would say is, and I've told my bosses this, I've told my peers this, I've told this to my direct reports. I don't know that there's another oilfield service company that I would have wanted to have been during. 2015 during 2020 the people made it all work right the people are fantastic great leaders who genuinely care care about you know you as an individual you as your you and your family you being safe they genuinely care has it been i should know this i yeah. don't is the same leadership been there the whole time for the most part yes yeah. for the most part That's i mean awesome. call it 80 plus percent right and and they've not, to your point, I mean, how, how much fun was 2015, 16, right? I mean, it was, it was brutal. Uh, survival was the key. It, it was just, how do you make it to the other side? How do you make it to the other side? Live to fight another day. Correct. We, and, and I had this conversation with our people yesterday. I said, you know, we talked about, you know, 20, we're in 2023 now, right? Right. And I was summing up 2020 through 2023. Right. Like, that feels like one year hey. or one time frame. I don't know if it's one year is the right way it was, to say it. Yep. But you're right. It doesn't feel like three years. No, it's it, it, it's it feels so compressed. And part of that, I think, is just the new cycle and, and just who we are today. Ugh. But as an industry, it, it is. It's so compressed. And 2020 was brutal, right? Negative oil. Who knows if it was brutal? I mean, I just, it, I mean, I, I'm not joking. Like, I don't even just know what blur. it was. Yep. Like, it, it just feels like it was this thing. You know, you know John Daniel, yeah. you're a moderator at the uh, yep. Thrive Conference coming yep. up, right? Uh, no, not unless he wants me to. No, I, where are you speaking? You're, aren't you? I feel like you're speaking somewhere. Oh no, I'm speaking at a uh, Permian Basin directional drilling. Okay, field. I knew you were yep. speaking somewhere That's soon. Right. But yep. um, you know, we're John started the Daniel Energy Partners April of 2020. Timing was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> holy smokes. Average average price that month was twenty dollars a barrel, and it hit <sighs> what minus thirty nine, minus forty, whatever yeah, it was. Whatever it was. Like what in the yep. world? What are we doing? That's what are we doing? We're surviving. And, and, and then in the midst of that, when you think it cannot get any worse, right? All of a sudden you get to 2021 and it feels like there's a little bit of wind in the cell. And then you get to 2022 and you find out that that wind is a, you know, it's a hurricane. And so you're now just holding on, you know, trying to grow at the right pace. Make sure you don't hurt anybody. Make sure you add the right people. Because if you don't do that, all the rest of it's going to fall apart. You know, I don't know about you. I'd like to hear your opinion, but like I got to 21 maybe mid 21 when it, that wind you're talking about. Yep. And for me, it was, it didn't feel like wind. It just, I, I realized like I'm exhausted. Okay. Like the last 12 months, right. I, I, I didn't have any energy. I, I looked back and I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. I'm alive. Right. Oh, can I sit and like, there's no time to sit. You have sure. to take another step today. Right. And like, <laughs> and you're just like, Oh man. So my, my experience was slightly different. I know all of 2020, I felt that way. Tired, yeah, just beat up, right? Because there's a lot of a lot of things going on in the world that were you know pretty emotional. It's like you know, it, none of it's positive news, sure. right? It's all negative news, so it's it's just draining and taxing on you. In 2021, though, that was when I I initially joined um, MS Directional. Was, okay, was assigned to MS in um, in March April timeframe, and we started picking up activity pretty significantly then, and so probably by the, the sometime in the third quarter. It was like, oh my goodness, I'm exhausted. Yeah. But there's no time to sleep. Let's go. You can sleep when you're dead. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. No. But but there is no time, right? To your point. Yeah. Like, don't, what do you, you just keep drinking espressos? You. Can. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like at some point, you're exhausted. Oh yeah. You're like, oh god, I'm yeah. tired. And you know, I haven't looked forward to 
the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, yes. New Year, as much as I did in 2022. Because in 2021, you know, you're li- you lived through it in 2020. 2021, you're you're growing this thing. You better hold on. By the end of last year, I was exhausted. Like I needed it bad. Yes, bad. I, you're talking about the end of 22. Yes, I could not agree with you more on that. Yep. I I tried to you know I tried to enjoy the holidays more than I ever have in the last three years. Totally agree. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I want to I want to pivot for just a little bit here. We're yeah we're good yep. on that. Good. Um, but you're and you're the president of. Directional yeah, I'm the, MSI? I'm the uh, president of MS Directional. Or M- I'm yeah. MSI, excuse yeah. me. It's a friend of mine down in Alice, yeah. Texas. Uh, <laughs> MS Directional. Yeah. Um, so, yes, Jared Danos. Shout out to Jared Danos on there that one, go. by the way. Good friend. Love him. The only Cajun living in Alice, Texas. I promise you that. No kidding. Yeah. But everybody goes to his house for gumbo. <laughs> oh, man. I tell you. He's, Perfect. He has paid the price. Paid the iron price, as I they say it. down there. But um, so you... What what is what we're going to shift to? What is your hope for this podcast, if you don't mind? So, <clears throat> you, what is what is the highly capable podcast mean yeah, to so, you? Yeah. What is the hope for? I mean, if that's the way you right. want to answer the question, if you want to yeah, have a different view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. No, I was just going to frame it a little bit. Okay. Right. So, you know, it, it's my hope that you know, there, there's clearly going to be a supply chain spin on it. I mean, that's absolutely where we're going to keep our uh, our roots. Uh, yeah, I hope if I'm a listener, I hope that I get to hear cool stories. Yes. I hope I get to learn about individuals, their experiences, who they are, how they got to where they got. Um, we have had some amazing uh, guests, and a lot of them uh, were folks that I'd worked with throughout my career that, you know, again, I was just blessed to meet with meet them. I was uh, you know, allowed to do some things. Probably I wasn't at the time. At a minimum, I felt like an imposter. But at, at the maximum, I wasn't even capable yet, but mm-hmm. I was going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And these people have got great stories, fun stories. And, and you know, you'll understand and get to know who they are, what what made them, what you know, who they are today. Um, some of them have great stories around, you know, where uh, where things were struggled, where they where their struggles were. Um, and then at the end of the day, you talk, you hear a little bit about their view on on the broader markets and what they're seeing in supply chain. But for the most part, though, it's going to be learning about people and cool, cool people with yeah. great stories. I love it. I think you're going to be blown away by the reception of this I, podcast. Man, the uh, the guests that we had, we've already done, we have lined up, are amazing. Yeah, I mean, we we dropped a couple of names: Santosh, Brian Smith, Mark McDaniel. I mean, these guys are within. Um, upstream oil and gas they're legends and so from that perspective i think that the listeners will get a lot out of it and and if nothing else they will know more about that individual and i suspect there'll be a lot more network connection through it which i think is really fun if you know one of the things i you know kind of wrapping up here i think if people understand more i'm glad supply chain has gotten more attention in the last 24 months yeah it needed it needed toilet paper to get there but yes you're right <laughs> it did did you go like to a costco or walmart when that thing was happening to see what was going on with the toilet paper cra- I, so craze? I, I, all of it was amazing to me i so i, I would i would this is it's kind of twisted um but just to see the freak out level i would walk walmart and heb and and what have you just to see what people were excited about buying yeah I oftentimes didn't need it I, or even need anything. I just wanted to go, it was like voyeurism. I just wanted to see what people were freaking out about. So I'm not that type of freaker outer either. Yeah. And no. I'm also not a, uh, I don't ever go to the grocery store. Right. My wife handles that stuff. So I, I, one day I was, you know, Frank was freaking me out on something. And I was like, well, God, maybe I'll go get water or something, yep. right? So I'm driving home and I pull in to get, again, water. I can't quite remember. I pull in, there's nothing in the aisle. Yeah. 
It was crazy. And then I thought, well, man, Jesus, now maybe I do need toilet paper. <laughs> That's I do right. need. So then I go to the, the, yep. nothing. Nothing. And then I'm like, well, now I'm freaking out. You're right. So then I go to the bread aisle. Nothing. And th- there's Hawaiian bread. I'm like, <laughs> what is Hawaiian bread? And beyond this, so you just, so somebody just took down 10 loaves of bread. What are you going to do with 10 loaves of bread? I, first of all, I didn't even know what to buy. <laughs> so I, I ended up buying like ice cream and cookies. I'm like, how long am I going to live on this? And, and I bought, your kids would be like, well, we're going to live this on this for forever. So I bought it. My wife's like, yeah, I got home and I was like, here's, you know, 40 cookies. And she's like, well, stupid. I've already gone shopping, <laughs> but you know, but I was like, well, I didn't know. And I, I got there and yep. I started freaking out. I, you can just see how the mentality well, it, of the freak out happens. Yeah. And cause and, I freaked out. Well, and so, I mean, living in Houston, you know what a hurricane looks like, right? I have a Much, generator now. Yeah, uh, well, but I was more referring to the water and the toilet paper oh, yeah. and all the freak, you know, just the, the panic buying. And people are sitting on it for months. And I, I, so I told Kim, I said, don't sweat it. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we have plenty of toilet paper. We will be just fine. And, and, and I mean, because of Lake House, we actually had lots of toilet yeah. paper. We'd stock that thing to the hilt. That being said, very quickly when things open back up, it doesn't, I mean, our supply chains in North America are so resilient. Yes. People freak out if you just give it a little bit of time, then it'll be right back where it needs it's to amazing. be. amazing. And that's, I think we're seeing a lot of that right now, actually. Right. You know, just in terms of 2023, you know, 2021, 2022, supply chains were broadly broken, right? I mean, there just wasn't enough stuff. But 2023, we're seeing things loosen up a little bit, depending on what part of the markets you're in. You're going to have different So let me things. ask you a question this. So that boat that got clogged up for a couple of days, in the remember the one that turned sideways? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Did that really cause that big of a delay in supply chain? They acted like that thing was going to throw things off for months. So I'm not going to speak to the actual, you know, that specific okay. instance, yeah. because I don't know yeah. exactly what was on it. What I, but let's ask ourselves, does that even matter at this point? I mean, I'm that's how saying, fast, that's how fast it fixes itself. I don't feel like it fixed. They acted like that was going to throw things off for months. They're well, like, this is, I mean, can it really, is it that fragile? I think that there are some items that are that fragile. There are some places where, because they're landlocked or because maybe they, they can't get access to certain things in a, uh, in a simple manner. Good example. How about this? Um, we're watching it in, in real time. It's gotten better, but natural gas in Europe. I mean, Correct. when their when their supply got shut off, what happened, right? Yeah. I mean, natural gas in Europe. I don't know what it's trading at today, but I mean, it was well into the thirties oh, at some point. Absolutely. And, and why, right? Because there's not enough access to it. So in a given scenario, I sell forgings. Yeah, there Italy. you go. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm very aware of this issue. Right. And so there you go. What I would say is it would be commodity dependent or, or finished product dependent. Mm-hmm. One and then two. Um, how fast can it? How fast can it change? And unfortunately, with natural gas, right? The real in my opinion, the real answer is LNG export. I mean, it's it's clear as day. Mm-hmm. Now, U.S. politics, I think, are going to slow us in that one. Um, our, our fearless leader the other night said that you know we're going to need oil and gas for ten more years. I don't know. Did you see that? I just just barely ten years. Unbelievable. Uh, that being said, um, I did get it. Got a pretty good laugh. Actually, I, I thought it was I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. But the supply chain to or the the time that it takes to build that supply chain is massive. And so in that scenario, you cut off Nord Stream 2 and all of a sudden, yeah, you have real problems. And so from that perspective, I, I would say in a given scenario, it's absolutely possible that you have a single hiccup and it, it just the ripple effect wow. is massive, which is scary. Very delicate. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you would like us to know about Keith Chemetsky, the Canadian Singaporean? <laughs> the Can- Singapore Canadian, Canadian Singaporean? Yes. No, American. Man. Yeah, right. No, American I, Singaporean. I'm, I'm not yet. They, uh, I'm supposed to be filling out my 
I've told my wife I'm going to go ahead and apply for citizenship this year. I do need a couple of references, so maybe I'll reach out. Never mind. I won't reach out to you. <laughs> I'll find somebody that will say good things about yeah, me. That's right. Um, but no, I think you know more than anything, I, I'm, I'm excited about the podcast. I guess the uh, I hope that the listeners will be excited about who we have on and enjoy the ride with us. Yeah, um, you know the the last six months of getting people uh, scheduled up obviously challenging, but that being said, I think we've got some really really cool people uh, and cool stories for uh, listeners to hear. I I think I think they're gonna love this podcast. I'm excited. I think Frank's done a great job. I have enjoyed Lauren. I don't know which camera. I'm just gonna start looking at every one of them here. <laughs> I'll look at this one. Um, Thank you for letting me co-host with you today. Thank you for letting me introduce you today in, in season two. Frank's really big on season. I'm like, Frank, who cares about seasons? Let's yeah. just do this. Yeah, let's get it out. I'm, you know, Frank is very much of a aim, yep. rifle, and shoot, yep. whereas you know me. I'm yep. like, let's just throw a grenade. We'll figure it out later. Let's just see what happens. And <laughs> It's going to be great, though. It's going to be great. I was going to say, it's, they're, they're 45 minute long conversations. I love it. It's gonna I be love great. it. Let's just go in there and blow things up. But truly, <laughs> you're awesome, Keith. I'm, I really appreciate you doing this. Yep. It is. I hope it benefits you. I know it's going to benefit the industry. Your yep. stories are incredible. Your network yep. is incredible. Appreciate and, that. Uh, so to the audience, this is all of these are going to be under the highly capable podcast under the upright digital network. Um, there is a there's a multitude of different podcasts available. Um, so check out all the different highly capable social media channels. Yep. Um, this is going to be live within the next two weeks. It doesn't yeah. matter what today is. So yeah. I can tell you, Let's it's go. One X day, X date. <laughs> But Keechman, do do we want to uh, post up any websites, or you want to give a website here today? Yeah. No, I think we've dropped we've dropped everywhere. Every that name works. we need to yeah, go. Exactly. Look up Keith Chemetsky. Don't try to spell it. Give give spell check a a, a run for its money. Yeah, I'll see what your computer's <laughs> worth. But you Keith, need that, you need that uh, the AI stuff. What yeah, is it, the Chat GPT. GPT is amazing, totally. by the way. Have you been able to get on? It's hilarious. I'll I'll tell you more about that later. That's yep. a different podcast. But uh, Keith, good luck to you, brother. Thank you for everything, Frank. Everybody loves Frank. Josh Lowry, best one ever, probably. No big deal. <laughs> Thanks again, buddy. Appreciate it, See pal. You. If you have any questions, nominations, or suggestions, please reach out to us on the Highly Capable Podcast on LinkedIn or at podcast at galtwayindustries.com. Thank you for listening.